Welcome to Unstructured Unlocked, a podcast where listeners discover how enterprise data and automation leaders are solving their most complex unstructured data challenges. I'm your host, Chris Wells. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Unstructured Unlocked. I'm your host, Chris Wells, VP of R&D at Indico Data, and I am more than pleased to be joined today by Stephen Weiss, former senior vice president and chief underwriting officer at Munich Re Specialty Group Insurance Services, and uh, now on garden leave, uh, looking for that next opportunity next year. So Stephen, welcome. Thank you, Chris. Uh, And thanks for the little pitch there for me. I appreciate that. Of course. Well, thanks for joining the podcast. Um, As we get started here, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you came to be a chief underwriting officer? Sure, it's a um, um, it's been a it's been a journey, and um, you know I I got out of I was I spent five years active in the U.S. Navy and three years in the reserves, and that kind of gave me um, a um, kind of kind of knowing that I knew how to work and um, and, a, and a leadership capability. I mm-hmm. then went into consulting for the um, energy and marine insurance industry. Uh, spent um, fifteen years doing that. Uh, both uh, doing marine survey work and loss adjusting, um, huh. culminating for five years at my own company back in 99 to 2005 or 2004. Um, one of my largest clients, Liberty International Underwriters at the time, hired me in-house to run the risk engineering team in 2004. Um, I hired uh, seven surveyors across the country, um, across actually across North and South America. And... Um, then I started uh, taking over more and more underwriting duties, eventually opened up two offices for Liberty in Latin America, in Sao Paulo and uh, Miami uh, for the Marine, for the Marine groups down there. Uh, moved from Liberty to Aspen to run two product lines. I ran the general cargo and the project cargo product lines over at Aspen. Um, and then in 2018, started with Munich Re as chief underwriting officer for Ocean and inland marine. So I had under under my purview was all the various inland marine lines, which is like 52 different lines of business, including wow. construction, contractors, equipment, stuff like that. And then I also ran the ocean team, which mostly focused on cargo, but it's cargo and logistics and um, stock throughput and things like that. Project cargo as well. Um, I've been there for just over, by the time I finish, I'll be there just over five years, finish my gardening leave here in, um, in May of 2023. And, um, you know, over that period of time, I've learned by doing, I've also gone back and gotten my chartered property casualty underwriter, my associate marine insurance management, um, then went on to get my master's in insurance from Boston University, which is a really good program. If any CPCU wants to get a master's degree, it's really actually, it it saves you four four courses if you go, if you do it through Boston University. So there you go. Little That's pitch great. for them while, while we're at it. <laughs> love it. Uh, Ocean Team is a great name for a team, by the way. I love that. Um, and then uh, two, what is a risk engineering team? I'm not an insurance guy. So, yeah, okay. That's a good question. So, I want to understand what that is. Um, so, many insurance companies, especially the larger ones that are focused on uh, property and casualty with um, high severity possibilities. It could be frequency as well, but usually high severity. They they hire teams internally to um, basically mitigate their risk. So I worked on the ocean team where you know we had guys go out and, and load ships and and look at cargo and and you know basically give the law. Part of it was loss control, and then part of it was actually doing the engineering, working with working with the various groups in order to um, make their risk more acceptable. Um, as well as give them the, um, usually they ended up with a better deal from us if they worked with us on the engineering side, uh, because we were more more in control of the risk. You know, it's really a, a risk mitigation tool as well as a um, tool for underwriters to better understand the risk. Interesting. So they they let you a little bit deeper under the hood and you know the risk better and so the yeah, pricing that's, is you know, easier. That's what I did in my consulting business was uh, was really the risk engineering side of things. Okay. And so it was a perfect, um, you know, having having an in-house tool like that for an insurance company really gives them a leg up on understanding comp- large and complex risks. And exactly right, we go out and do a lot of site visits, a lot of under the hood lo- looking, uh, spend time with the clients um, in and around their um, 
whatever it might be, you know, everything from looking at warehouses to project cargo loading on ships to um, construction, you know, looking at construction projects, uh, any, anything that had a uh, severity or a potential, um, the, the, it was a, let's use an unusual risk. It was something out of the ordinary. Okay. Interesting. Uh, final thought on your intro. Thank you for your service uh, in the Navy. I appreciate great. that. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, of course. Um, most of the audience for Unstructured Unlocked uh, comes from sort of the automation, artificial intelligence, uh, you know, world. Okay. So, okay. you know, from from a lot of different verticals, including insurance, yep. but not exclusively. So talk to us a little bit about what it is that a chief underwriting officer does. Like, what are the responsibilities? What's the organization look like? That kind okay. of stuff. So the, um, um, so the chief underwriting officer, basically uh, anything that, is underwriting directed falls under his purview, his or her purview, because there's, there's a lot of females that are chief underwriting officers as well. Um, and what it what it really means is you set the standard and the guidance for your teams as to how they're going to assess and um, uh, look at look at risks and and then underwrite them from the standpoint of both pricing as well as terms and mm -hmm. conditions in the policy. You know, you, you're the one that assigns different responsibilities to different underwriters. You assign them authority levels. You take away their authority levels if they don't do what they're supposed to be doing. Um, you know, so, so really, he's the gatekeeper between the capacity provider, um, meaning that okay. the insurance company that actually gives us, because we were, we were an M, a managing general agency, um, an MGA. And as an MGA, we had capacity from our parent company, Munich Re. But we had to, as the chief underwriting officer, my job was to work with the capacity providers to make sure that they were comfortable with what we did. And um, if if we wanted to do something more or something different, then I'd be the one who would be negotiating with the capacity providers. So okay. also, if you placed re, you know, reinsurance, we helped to place the reinsurance. We were very heavily involved in all aspects from the underwriting side to the administrative side, the operations side. We were in the process of a big automation upgrade in our with systems right. and that was a, another part that fell under my you know i worked with the chief operating officer to make sure that that went well wow that's a that's a big umbrella what what are what are some of the uh you know sub teams that rolled up to you in that role so i've had um <clears throat> um at munich it was specifically all the underwriters so i had i had okay. a team of uh, 14 different underwriters um across the country um and uh, we worked business in Canada, North America, and Latin America. There was um, a team of seven, or six, sorry, six inland marine underwriters that were focused on construction, um, contractors' equipment, um, uh, electronic data, and all these different all these different things that fall within the inland marine uh, scope of business for an insurer. And then I had a team of uh, eight uh, ocean underwriters that focused on cargo, logistics, um, stock throughput, all the different things that basically grease the wheels to keep um, the supply chain working. Yeah. Okay. Right really on. involved in supply chain management. We did a lot of supply chain management. Okay. Interesting. And those, uh, you know, that inland marine team, are they, are they sort of, do they break down along lines of sort of specialties in terms of risk or is it geographic or, or how is that organized? It was, it was a little bit of, uh, we hadn't, we hadn't regionally done geographically just because that's where they lived. But if they, okay. you know, but some of them had a specialty in motor truck cargo, some had a specialty in construction, some in contract equipment. So they worked together as a team in order to share brains if they got a risk in there, they were, they, they weren't as familiar with. Okay. That's pretty interesting. Who said insurance was boring? They were wrong. I, I've never said that. <laughs> you know, I, Same. I, but then again, I work in specialty lines and um, there's a, um, you know, it's, there's a much greater diversity of what we do than I'm sure in some, some people's uh, business. Okay. So. Yep. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of, you know, speaking of uh, interesting things, what, what's like, the most exciting part of this job like what got you out of bed in the morning when you were doing this day to day well i mean there were there were two things really one was the people you know not only clients but also my uh, my staff you know yeah. i have i have a lot of very good friends that are also clients and um and then the second part was how do you make something that is um a little bit esoteric i.e insurance 
into something that is is concrete to your client and then build them the best program along with your broker partners to really cover the risk that you're trying to cover. You know, it was really that service part plus the um, plus the, uh, um, the the people part. Those okay. two really were, kept me going. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's the good. How about the bad? What What are some of the key challenges that are facing the underwriting, you know, vertical or industry today? What's hard right now? A couple, you know, you get back on the flip side, we have a people issue in the insurance industry because we don't have enough. Okay. We have a very, there's a very, um, we, we, we missed out in about the 30 to 45 year range. We have, we're, we're well below where we need to be because as people, my age, and I'll say just something above that 45, I won't say exactly how old, but something above that, there's going to be a lot of baby boomers that retire. Yeah. And, you know, I'm the last year of the baby boom. I was born last year in the baby boom. So, you know, 10 years from now, I'm going to need somebody to take my place. And these people are going to be 20 years younger than me um, yeah. because of the, of the, the, that gap in the insurance space. So um, what, one of the things that I've focused on over the years is training and not only training my own folks, but also, as we mentioned in our, in our, uh, our um, in, intro call, I work with different colleges to yeah. help them, help them have their people find jobs as well as go in there and teach um, <clears throat> some courses that are kind of outside of the box for most of their instructors. Um, you know, one of the, I'm the chairman of the board of a group called the Houston Marine Energy Insurance Conference. And that conference puts on a yearly, or that group puts on a yearly conference in September or October, where we focus on issues in the industry. But the biggest thing that we do is we bring in students from eight different colleges to get them introduced to folks that are in the industry as well as give them a chance to hear about what's going on in the industry. And we had um, over 500 or just about 500 people at the conference back in October. And we've wow. just, um, we've just finalized all of our donations to the schools. We give school scholarships. We'll be giving away about $120,000 this year from oh. the money that we made from the conference. Wow. So it, it sounds like you're having pretty good success trying to rebuild this pipeline. Yeah. Well, the, um, the, there's there's about I don't know I, I think the number somewhere up around a hundred thousand short people in wow. the industry by you know by 2025 or 2027 so it's going to take a while and it's going to take a lot of work um, to make it happen but the great thing is is you know I, I tell tell the young folks is you know, you're going to have an accelerated career because you're going to have to step yeah. into higher positions than you would typically at your age um, because of the lack of people that are older than you or more experienced than you. That's a pretty exciting pitch. I, I would think it'd be very exciting, you know, and, um, you know, the, uh, I don't, I'm not sure where you fall in the, in the spectrum, but there are a lot of millennials, you know, that want to be the vice president when they walk in the door. I know you're a vice president. So, you know, I, but I'm, but I mean, I, I tell them is that, you know, that's something you earn, you know, and you got to spend, yeah. you got to spend some time. You probably spend less time than I did to get that title, but you have to spend enough time in there to, to know the business and you don't want to, you don't want to get ahead of your your skill set because if you get ahead of your skill set, you're gonna you're gonna flounder and it, yeah. it could cause you to have some issues with your career going forward. Yeah, that's uh, that's good advice, and uh, I I am technically a millennial, although I <laughs> I identify as greatest generation. Also, there you go. My my son is also a millennial, so that's uh you know I yeah. I, I I understand it. Yeah, very good. Um, it's interesting. I was, you know, I was in academia up until about 10 years ago. And back then, all of the granting agencies were like, we need more people in STEM. And I don't think they were thinking of underwriting. But of course, to be a good underwriter, I assume you have to have a good command of, you know, mathematical principles and certainly math, logical. Math, yeah, certainly math, you got to be able to think logically. And that STEM really drives you into engineering, too. And that's where your risk engineering group comes yep. in. You know, a lot of the lines that I work in need people with some technical knowledge of the actual industry. Yeah, so I, I love it when folks like yourself uh, give back to academia because academics, they're not an industry, right? And so taking that industry now, knowledge back. Some people would say that's not true anymore, but, you know. It's I, changing. Yeah, you know, there, there are certain colleges that seem like they're, they're on, on an industry focus. But, uh, yeah, no, I think that, I think that you know, you got to pay it forward. We had, yeah. I, I still remember professors from college that didn't put me down this path specifically, but they taught me how to learn 
and then they they gave me the tools to to be successful wherever I went. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Pay it forward. I love it. Even in, even in specialty insurance, you got to pay it forward. Absolutely. You pay it forward. No, that's cool. Uh, So we, we talked a little bit about some of the skills to get started and you talked about the need to sort of, you know, you got to get some time under your belt. Get, don't get it out over your skills. What are some of the hallmarks of um, just a good underwriter and then the hallmarks of a good chief underwriter? Well, so a good underwriter um, has, has some sort of technical skills, not necessarily underwriting skills, but uh, I'll use one of the guys that I, that, I, that I hired back about two years ago. He was um, he was at, at sea. He was sailing for uh, one of the big uh, U.S. shipping companies, um, yeah. but he but he was also going to be getting married and didn't necessarily want to spend his whole time away from home. And, you know, I get, I get that because I've traveled so much in my life and yeah. spent you know some years at sea with the U.S. Navy. Um, and so he came in. He you know, basically volunteered to come in as an intern. He says, I want to learn the business. And I said, wow. all right, you got three months between between shifts. Come on in. And he worked hard and did a great job. And then at the end of the internship, I didn't let him go. I hired him. Um, wow. didn't, really, didn't really have a slot, but I hired him because he's a hard worker. He learned fast. He put in the time to learn it. He asked good questions. And he was never shy about asking questions. You know, people think that if they ask a question, they look stupid. And it's totally the opposite. You know, if you don't ask a question that's on your mind, then you're going to look stupid because you can't you can't get your job done. Um, yeah. You know, and, and and one of the things that I start most of my presentations with, you know, I expect you to ask questions, interrupt me, raise your hand, talk to me. I said, let's have a conversation like you mentioned before. Let's have a conversation here. I don't want to just sit there and talk to you, talk to the students or whoever it is for, you know, two hours or whatever. But let's have a conversation here because it goes much more quickly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. And, uh, you know, that rich dialogue helps you get below the surface level, you know, between, between the lines of the textbook. Right. And that's, that's important. (laughs) Totally. You know, and and it's funny because, um, one of the courses that I, um, I teach one, I teach one chapter of is the, um, where's my book? (laughs) Oh, they're real books. I thought it was just a background. That's a great. Yeah, they're real books. Yeah, it's um, assessing commercial liability risk. Okay. And so chapter chapter eight is exploring marine and aviation coverage. And so I don't really, you know, I don't teach the book. I just talk about what I do. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you know, and that gives it and, and great. I have great pictures, all that sort of stuff. So that's the part that um, I think it makes it makes it alive, makes it exciting. Um, that's awesome. So when you go from an underwriter to a chief underwriting officer, you know, there's some obviously some growth in there. And you know, you 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 first manage a team, then you might manage a product, and then you're gonna go on to 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 manage a group of products. Um I think it's you know, again, it's two things. One, you gotta have a skill set, an underwriting mindset. And the yeah. second thing is is you gotta you gotta hire good people because there's no way you can run a line of business that has you know 25 or 30 different lines in it or a, a business has that many lines in it by yourself yeah. you know you you're not going to have the skill set across all of that what you have is a overall understanding of what the goals are of the so you, so you got to switch from a tactical to a strategic you, know, you got to okay. go from you know your day-to-day to okay what's our what's our what's our long-term goals here and um you know so you got to shift from you know, the day-to-day mindset to a more long-term mindset, you know, where, where do you need to be in three years, five years, and then build your team in and around that as well as, um, you know, work with your capacity providers, work with your colleagues, work with the folks that, you know, drive you to success or help drive you to success to um, make a, um, make a, you know, make a business out of it, you know, and, and treat it as your own business and treat the money as your own. You know, you want to, you want to, consistently perform you want to be uh you want to make sure you stay ahead of what um the market's doing as well as um you know you uh, want to make sure you're staying ahead of any claims trending that might be coming through okay interesting all right and and you gotta learn how to you gotta learn how to work with data not so much yeah i'm not gonna I'm, you know i'm not the one that's doing pivot tables and spreadsheets but you know, <laughs> yeah. i need people that first of all can do that and i need to ask the questions of them or give them the KPIs that I want to look at or the key performance indicators that I want yep. to see so that uh, we can, we can take 
this huge volume of information we get in and make it into something that we can actually track and see how things are going. I think I'm trying to get over to your AI side and your. No, I was I was going to say that that's an excellent transition. I'll I'll send you a check later for making that one easy <laughs> for me. Um, no, I you know I think I think we've done a good job here of establishing the fact that you know your stuff, and so let's uh, let's dig in. Let's talk a little bit about. That's good. Um, underwriting processes, and specifically, I'm I'm interested in. A lot of people are talking about this nowadays. I'm I'm really interested in the submissions intake process, what that looks like. Well, it depends on obviously how you're doing your business. So if you're yeah, you, so so let let let's start with the one that everybody's familiar with, your auto, your homeowners. Okay. You're basically, you're you're doing usually doing it direct with a with an insurance company. You're doing it online. You're entering the data in yourself. Yeah. Um, I'm not in that business. The business that I am in is we are we are driven by uh, agents and brokers. So you know, our there's an intermediary between us and the client. The client brings the business to this to this um, um, in, insurance intermediary, and it could be you know there's, the big ones are like Marsh, Aon, Willis, but then you have also mm -hmm. you have Amwins, uh, Ryan Turner. You have and then then thousands of smaller ones. You know, we had. Yep. We had probably 150 to 200 appointed agents that we worked with um, on a $65 million book of business. Um, and all of these folks or the whole the whole goal is, is they need to give you as much information as they can that is risk specific. And then our process is relatively manual. Um, you know, they send us the risk in and then we have then we input it into our system. And okay. then, our, then we use our system to assess the risk as well as your underwriting uh, knowledge and background. You know, we had we were just you know the 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 last two two and a half years. There's been a there was a, we were in in the middle of a, a moving to a new policy administrative system, which would be you know intake, um, underwriting claims. Yeah. And, and all the AI data, all that sort of stuff, into you know one one of the one of the well known ones, and um, <laughs> it it didn't go or it hasn't gone quite as well as they told us it would. And, and what I mean by that is, the salespeople from an organization tell you they can you know they can take you to the moon, yeah. and then we actually then we actually sign the contract and start working with the data the data folks. You know we're we're now trying to get to the top of the next hill, much less the moon. And uh, so it was a long, a long process over a two year process to get from start to finish. And yeah. then, then you see, you know, you, you get your, you do all your, um, you do your road mapping, you do all your sprints, you do all these things. And then yeah. you end up with a, a minimum viable product. Then you spend the next 10 years, make that minimum viable product into something that actually is a tool that can work for you. And, yeah. um, you know, I don't know if there's an easier way to do that, but that's that was that was less than um, I, I was less than impressed by how that whole process went. Not because they weren't hardworking people and didn't, you know, and, and it, it hasn't gone. You know, we we haven't made huge progress. It was just that we had to build so many pieces of it that we thought we were going to come straight off the shelf. Uh, yeah. Okay. How much of that? I'm I'm curious about this because I, you know, I talked to folks and. A lot of different industries, and I, I hear similar stories with yep. their adventures, their adventures in enterprise <laughs> tech. How how much of that is uh, lack of understanding on the vendor side of process, and how much of it is maybe you know bespoke processes within the organization that are probably due to change? Well, I think that there's um, there's certainly both of those things certainly play in. Yeah. You know, and I, I think the biggest. Um, the, the the biggest hickey that that I saw was is that the sales team nodded their heads, but they didn't, and they didn't really understand what we were asking for. Okay. Because you know we we do need a bespoke product. I mean, it's not yeah. something you know we're not like I said we're not selling fifty thousand auto policies a month. We're yeah. selling uh, two hundred large policies a year on the ocean cargo side, or maybe maybe five hundred. You know, to get to a forty million dollar number, so they're they're large policies and they're very complicated, and very. Yeah. You know, and so it's been so. There's, I think, it's I think it's both sides. I think that it's a it's a vendor misunderstanding. Uh, maybe maybe we didn't explain it well enough or give them enough detail. And then of course it is bespoke or 
or the products themselves are um, difficult, wrong word is difficult, but maybe challenging to take from, um, you know, from where we are now to the, from manual process into an automated process. Yeah. Okay. So. That's interesting. All right. To the vendors out there selling to specialty insurance, make sure you're paying attention. This stuff isn't easy. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and I think that the other piece that I would say is, again, bring in your, bring in some of the people that are going to actually work with the client to yeah. develop the product. Don't just have a sales team that then never touches the product again. Yeah. You know, that's, no, uh, yeah. that's, that's the disconnect. That's the major disconnect, right? Yeah, yeah. It's funny, you know, you, you go to a car dealership and you buy a car and you're pretty sure that the person across the table has driven a car before, but in enterprise sales, you know, <laughs> you don't have the same sort of thing, which is bizarre to me. Um, Except at Indico, our salespeople actually know how our product works. Well, um, you know, it, and there and there are a lot of companies that do, especially you know all these all the new insure techs. They're getting better and better. A lot of these guys come out of the industry. They have a yep. fantastic background. They're trying to make it smoother, you know. And and hopefully, in my next position or what you know the next the next place I fall, we either have a system that works really well, or they have the the investment income, or that they can invest into something. One of these insure techs or you know, some, some other, some other, um, you know, including some AI stuff, including all the different pieces that yeah, yeah. I think would really, you know, you know, it's as, it's as simple as, if, you know, if you could smooth the intake process from, you know, not having to do all the manual side, which I know that I know there's many people out there that are starting to do that now, especially yeah. if you use an accord form or something like that for your submission. But, you know, oftentimes our submissions come in, they're not, they're not on a form. You know, they're, yeah. they're not standardized, so it, it makes it more challenging. And so, you know, I, I think that there are plenty of folks out there that can do the uh, the standard stuff. There's plenty of insure techs out there. It's when you get a little bit more complicated that it's still, it's still there's still a lot of manual work to yeah. be done. You know, and, yeah, and AI is not to the point now that it can, you know, take a take an unformatted document and figure out what where to put everything. You know, we're not quite there yet. Yeah. Yeah, you you know you get those loss runs or SOVs that are on you know scratched on a scan of a napkin, right? And you got to deal with it. Um, yeah, or, or the whole submission comes in, you know, just as a word document or you know, as, as, a, as a series of emails. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking speaking of that, let's let's walk through the entire process if you don't mind. So sure. I gather most of this submissions process starts with an email. Assuming I assume there's some attachments to it. Is it anything else? Does stuff come in by mail? Do you get faxes? You know, what else is no, there? No faxes or mail much anymore. It's, okay, I, it's, I it's really email. 99% email and then maybe a little bit of texting to follow up when you're just on specific questions. Okay. Um, but all the all the documents, you know, all the documents will come in in a PDF or a Word format or Excel format. You know, we do ask for the native environment so that we can then, you know, if it's an SOV, we want to see it as an Excel so then we can manipulate okay. it simply into because we have to run we have to run it through catastrophe modeling, aggregation modeling. We have to do all these all this modeling on it. And if it's a PDF and it's a thousand lines long, it's going to be a, a total bear to work with. So we do ask for the, you know, for the native, either whether it be Excel or, you know, even Google Docs, whatever, whatever it might be, yeah. something, something out there that gives us the um, capability of um, easily manipulating the data. Interesting. That's a starting point there. Yeah. And so yeah. That, that, that submission comes in and like I said, it's usually from a, intermediary the broker and then you know initially there'll be a few questions back and forth you know what what do you want us to do you want any other lines you want us to look at and um then we'll get it to our typically to an underwriting assistant who will then uh take the data that's there and then structure it into the system you know they'll okay. pull out the insurance name they'll put out you know eventually this will be more broker driven we'll have a broker portal to do all this Okay. Right now, it's all it's all done internally. At, that was at, going to be my follow up question. That's yeah, great. and and I'll, we'll get to that. But you know, at, at the um at the company that you know just well, I'm still working there, but you know, um, the um you know the it, it's all driven by the underwriters. It comes in the underwriter system, gets it in there, and then it goes to modeling for the the catastrophe and the aggregation modeling, and then it comes back to the underwriter. And then the underwriter is then runs it through the rating engine, so that we yep. can then rate it up with all the different pieces that are involved to that rated engine. And then <clears throat> rated engine then spits out a quote 
and this is the new policy administrative system. You know, we've got it to the point uh, where we can go from, you know, uh, in input through the quote, through the binder, through the policy for the most part, although we have a lot of bespoke policies that are either yeah. broker broker driven or, you know, so they might, they may just be an, end up being a PDF in a document file, but the, the goal and, and this system will take it all the way through policy issuance. If we, if we have, if it's a policy that is more forms driven that are standard forms like AIS okay. or ISO or something like that. Um, and, um, you know, then, so the quote, the quote goes out, then we negotiate back and forth. And there's actually quite a bit of pre-negotiation done, especially on larger risks before the quote even goes out. You know, what are your expectations? You know, losses, we see losses at this level, you know, that's going to demand an increase for next year. You know, what's, how much pain can the client take? You know, we have inflation now running at, you know, between seven and 9%, you know, yeah. and there's claims inflation, you know, I, there's, there's going to be an increase. How much are we going to be able to, you know, and if it's a long-term client, you want to, you know, want to work with them to make sure that you're not, um, you know, compromising their future or, and you don't necessarily want to lose it, the client either, if the client is, has consistently been making you money. Yeah. Fascinating. All right. There's, there's a lot to chew on there. Um, let me start by asking, you know, in the context of this podcast, we talk about unstructured data and obviously an email with attachments there, yes. is unstructured. Yes. Yeah. Um, if I could wave my AI magic wand um, and, you know, sort of knock off one chunk of the process you described, where's the biggest bang for the buck? Now, I, I would say that if, if a system could take a PDF, let's say you're going to see it in three or four different formats, PDF, Excel, okay. Word, and, um, you know, maybe, maybe pictures of that. If the system could take those documents and digest the documents and put that information into a the the underwriting system thereby eliminating that first step you know basically what the broker would do is he'd send it to a a, a specific mailbox and then yeah. that specific mailbox would then take all these documents and spit them into the and i don't you know the, Spits a pretty that's a pretty low tech word, but you know put it Fine. put them into the put them into the right places and then end up with a um, with a submission that's been now input without any any hands having to touch it, you know and unstructured okay. data that's a challenge I know that because the fields don't, don't match up. Well, and you know it's important to get these details right. Would yes, you know would an underwriter slash a broker ever trust this process to be truly automated, or are there things that you would just have to you know, at least glance at before you would say, go ahead. Well, you know, here's what I would say. We say, go ahead, but then we got to go back and check. You yeah, know, it, does, okay. it doesn't go past the submission phase until the underwriter is taking that look at what has come into the system. Okay. And if it looks like garbage, it probably is. Okay. You know, because, because he's going to hold the documents right here. And if, if the insured is ABC incorporated and they're at this address, and then in the system, it says, uh, GKU company that is at this address, then we know there's something wrong with, yeah, with the good order. character recognition. You know, and, yeah. and, and that's, I, I don't know how you're going to solve that because the unstructured data thing is a huge, that's a huge hurdle for us yeah. um, to, to get over. But, it, but it sounds like if you had, you know, I'm just sort of dreaming here. If you had one screen, which is the original document, and then you've got the stuff from the document next to the stuff that's in the system, Yep, and and the underwriter just has to go through and sort of look for anomalies. Um, well, then then you're saving a lot of time. That yeah. should be saving a lot of time. That could be the underwriting assistant could do that too. You know, yeah, because because they're the ones who would do the data entry anyway. So now uh, they just they just go ahead and review the data, and then right. the, then the, or the assistant underwriter, and then and then the data's been reviewed, and maybe we've saved four or five hours. And if it, yeah, and if the if the system can also recognize and say. Oh, this is a schedule of values for you know this particular uh, cargo program. These are all the warehouses. Okay, now I can look at all this and I see you know I see the addresses, I see the amounts, I see the locations, and then I can just go ahead and reach out to RMS or or AIR or whomever you're using for your for your CAT tool, and yeah. then you you can bring that information back in and you can eliminate maybe the step where it has to go to a separate person. With an essay, analyze the data and change it into a different format. But I think yeah. one key to all this is to not so much 
accept structured data, accept structured data with certain parameters or unstructured data. And what I mean by that is your SOV has to have boom, boom, uh, boom, boom, boom. And then yep. we auto automatically upload it or your border row when it comes in. If you, let's say you're, let's say you're the capacity provider for an insurance for uh, MGA. When that border row comes in, it has to be in this format. So then we can just upload it or the API can yep. recognize it. So that's not truly unstructured data, but it's um it's it's a good use of a you know a known capability in in the in, in the system. But yeah, you're exactly right. Have that two screens, boom, boom, boom. Review it if it's yep. ninety nine percent accurate. You know, then you say, okay, that just elevated my trust one more step up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it, it sounds like sounds like the wish list is uh, AI. You know, bionic arm for the underwriting assistant. And then on the other side, um, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. Some way of rationalizing the various formats in, you know, there are core concepts you need to get to, right? Yeah. Rationalizing the various formats down into those core concepts, um, that would really streamline the process. Well, yeah, it would it would make it so that, you know, if, if the if the AI could recognize that, okay, these two lines are flipped from what I need them to be. Yeah to go to to go into a, into our aggregation system i could just flip them and then you know then a quick review by the underwriter this is this or the risk the the risk engineer does this look good and then it's like okay well you fix all the columns and yeah now yeah. we can send it up in there you know that kind of thing might be simpler than truly unstructured data it's just taking yeah. data that's in the wrong format and fixing the format could be right. it could be the first step and then the second step would be more the totally unstructured data like yeah. in 20 emails and then the, the system's got to figure out what everything is from those 20 emails. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is interesting. All right, let's let's come back down from the clouds and dreaming <laughs> for a second. Um, my, my experience, I you know, in financial services, I worked uh, with and for insurance companies um, periodically. And uh, <laughs> my experience is that digital transformation and in insurance for a long time has been kind of like the effort, like, people say it a lot more than they're actually doing it. Um, so especially legacy companies, I agree, especially legacy companies. So talk to me a little bit about where you've seen success with digital transformation and automation, you know, sort of in the, all of the underwriting flows, submissions, you know, claims, okay. all so, of that. There are certain systems out there that um, make the underwriter's job simpler. That you know doesn't it doesn't take away some of the you know fixing of the data, but what they do is they um, they they take away most of the legwork. Um, okay. And there are a couple of MGAs out there. There's probably more than a couple, but there's some MGAs out there that were able to start with a like. Um, are you familiar with like the Lloyd's Lab and these other uh, yeah. accelerators that are working yeah. with these insure techs? You know, some, yeah, great stuff. Some of the folks that have come out of these Lloyd's Labs have developed systems with underwriting input that are, let's say, they're seventy-five percent of the way there. Okay. Um, you know, they 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 don't have they can't do the unstructured, but you know they they can do most everything else except for that one piece. You know, and and it's it's simple input, and it, and and then but it's also hugely uh, focused on tracking that data and being able to produce numbers and KPIs and things like that out of that data. And I think a lot of insurance companies struggle with that because every one of their product lines has different fields that they use. Okay. For the same yep. thing. You yep. know, and, and so that's where that was one of the focuses we had uh, building this PAS system was that everybody has to use the field consistently, you know? So if it's, if, you know, even though if we call it something different, you know, because I, I have, I'll have, I have a, I'll have throughput, you know, on cargo, I'll have, you know, hundred million dollars worth of cargo throughput. That's the same thing as revenue for a cyber risk. You uh, know? So okay, you yeah. just have to make sure you're, you're thinking, um, you're thinking logically so that the system, so you don't, so you don't have to build four different systems. You can build one system that does four different things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so you would say you've, you would say that's a win is like, rationalizing those things across different lines totally, totally. yeah you know i mean and, and, and a, a lot of the a lot of the insure techs that have been very successful have been very niche focused okay. um which makes it a little simpler for them to you know develop the system um but 
you know, not not to take away from them, but the the, the work that they put in there to, to make it to make it simple has been a has been amazing as what they've been able to do. Okay. Um, and I mean, I'm not real familiar with exactly what you guys do, but I will say that um, people are people are becoming more and more um, aware or cognizant of what it takes to or are you know what what you can and can't do within these systems right now yeah. and yeah. i think that and i think that that's becoming you know what you can and can't do now is 50% less than it was 10 years ago absolutely you know? and 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 i think there's going to be that that progression and i think then eventually chris you're going to be able to just throw in 50 faxes or 50 emails no faxes 50 emails and boom you know, you'll be able to spit out and have a, have a quote within an hour. You know, yeah. I, I think that that's down the road, but I think it is achievable. And, you know, hopefully the folks that are listening to this call, you know, you know, give me a call and we talk about it. And next time they do something, you know, they, they think about this next step or they listen and they, and, and they, and they figure out that, okay, what he was saying here was let's make sure this field is consistent across all these 10 different lines of business. Yeah. And if we could do that, that's going to save 10% of the time or of the cost of building something. And I also, I also think that really good PAS providers are. Could you, could you define PAS real uh, quick for us? Policy, policy administrative systems. Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, they are, you know, these, these are the guys that are developing the systems that, yeah. you know, do the submission quote, bind, uh, policy issuance, and then all the tracking claims on the backside, uh, and then accounting usually off to the side as well. Um, but the the guys that are really doing this are starting to do it well. Are taking everything they've learned every single time they talk to somebody and building it into the next system. Okay. And so each time their product gets a little better. Now, what I would suggest to those folks in the world that build these systems is if you are if you don't have a system that's close to what you're delivering, work with your client at a reduced rate to help build one because uh, you will also learn a lot of good things from doing that business and don't expect your client to pay for all of that. Yeah, subsidized research, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. we're, we're happy to work with people that want to work with us, but you know, if if you come in and tell us you can do this and then you can't, you don't don't say, well, you got to pay for it anyway, you know, so. Yeah, no, that's that's crazy. Um, and very short-sighted. So yeah. I, let me see. There, there are a few things in there that you're talking about. One, um, I think there's an AI arms race coming in the insurance industry. But one of the things that you pointed out is that there are there are big wins to be made just in terms of having consistent data and processes, right? Yes. Yeah. I think one of the other things you said just now that's really important is that there's no one. Uh, there's no one platform. There's no one company that understands really the full breadth of of what's going on, uh, and so we need to work together to learn how to solve this problem. Yeah, and 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 I think that. Um, so what's happening now is these insure techs are getting bought and 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 bolted yeah. onto an existing company, and yeah. the. The, the the biggest capability that I that I see in some in, in some of the better insure techs is is that their systems are flexible. They can input they can have APIs into the into that system from many different sources. Yes. Um and um and I think that people you know the people that are developing these systems need to find out what all those sources could be so that they're they're ahead of the curve. You know you want to be able to bring in the catastrophe modeling the um, aggregation model ah. you want to be able to bring in forms, you know, cause they're like ISO and AIS. There's hundreds of forms in each of those organizations, but if you can bring them in and, and keep them up to date and, and take that away from a manual thing, that's huge. And yep. those, you know, those two things, the ISO and the AIS have been sort of figured out by several companies. Um, but then, um, you know, it, it's, it's it's then the little things, you know, because what we're trying, what where I think uh, automation and AI work really well is in things that are um, that it's in taking away process, or yeah. 
putting process, automating process versus having to do it with, with a human. Um, and I mean, the, when I, when I started, when I got out of college a long time ago, um, you know, we didn't even, well, first of all, we didn't have cell phones and the yeah. first cell phone I had was a Motorola brick, um, which yep. was about, about, you know, this big. big um, guy. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we, I got my first, um, laptop when I was, you know, probably five years into five years out of the Navy, you know, okay. and, and in the Navy, all that we could do with our, with our, with the computers was either type in a, in what pre predated the word program or, or yeah. do, um, you know, there, there was a lot of ordering you could do online. You know, there was that those systems like a Citrix system was, was working back then. Um, but I mean, and I mean, in college we had, we had word processes is what we had. We didn't have, you know, we couldn't we couldn't look up call up to Google and find it all the stuff. We we had to go look it up ourselves and you and so I mean the the mere fact that we have that now and there's so much information out there has made our lives simpler yet more difficult because now we're expected to be on call more you know more yeah overwhelming amount of information and you can't yeah. you know, so, so structuring the information in your system you know and then the part that it sometimes gets looked over or, or skipped over is that we have all this data. Now we've got to filter it into something that's valuable yes. to management, to the yeah. chief underwriting officer. And, you know, you either have to have a person who's really good with, um, you know, pivot tables and things like that, because yeah. we have all this, because our, the, the, the previous system was mostly unstructured data that my, op, my head of operations she was able to figure out how to structure it. Um, and it was mostly because she understood the system from inside out. And then yeah. she's able to pull it into a, a spreadsheet and then pivot it and, and get the information that we wanted. And, you know, we didn't have anything to compare it against, but it was way more accurate than doing it manually. And, okay. um, you know, so being able to go into the legacy system, pull out all that data and structure it is, would, would be a leg up. But even but even being able to go forward and properly use the data then, which is, I think is where a lot of the insure techs have excelled at is yeah. um, being able to pull in these or bring out this information so you can see trends early. So you can, you know, you can, you can find out things that are happening before you yeah. visually or, or, you know, before they've actually happened, maybe even. Yeah. Th th there's a hierarchy, right? There's data, there's information, and then there's insight, right? That's, you really want to get yep. to that insight level of things. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. And but, that's where I think all, anybody that's doing data right now needs to make sure that that's their goal is yeah. to be able to provide insight to the people that are using that data. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, we're, uh, we're coming up on the top of the hour and you've uh, throughout this, you've sprinkled some little gems along the way. And I, I kind of want to, try to get you to collect that all in one place so if you if you could force underwriting leaders to do anything right now to prepare for the future what would it be well i, I think we're gonna go to two things okay first thing is make sure you grow and build people okay because people are going to be essential to the industry forever and then the second thing is is find a a provider of systems or plat let's, let's call them platforms that is um, cloud-based uh, that is very much focused on future state, not past. And that brings the data from the data state to the insight state. And, yep. you know, and, 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 I, and I think that, well, and I, and I also, I also mentioned, make sure you have your implementers involved with the sales team. And I, uh, and I mean, I think that's, I think that's super key because if the implementer is there and, and he, he hears something that's no, we can, and he knows we can't do that now. He can yeah. even make sure that that gets transmitted back or he interrupts at that time and says, okay, no, we, we can't do that. We can do this, but we can't do that. You know, I, I think that would have saved much of my frustration with our current provider. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I see that a lot where folks are afraid to say no on the sales side. And yeah. they forget that you could say no, but 
right? And that's where those implementers become, or that's where they save the day. That's not something that I know, but let me check and see if we can do that. And exactly. if we can't do that, that seems like a great thing that we can be working on with you. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, we'll work, we'll work on you with that at, at half our normal rate or something like that. You know, there's, there's ways to work around all these things that would make the, um, that make the, that would make the experience much more um, palatable to the people that are paying the bills. Yeah. Yeah. So the advice to the vendor side is, uh, you know, be honest, uh, don't overpromise and under under deliver. And I think on the, on the underwriter side, you're saying, you know, look for vendors that are not just selling you, you know, something that they think is, is fully baked, but look, look for partnerships, um, to get to that end state. Because it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long-term partnership. You know, you're, you're, if you're spending 15 or 20 million bucks on a system, that's not going to be something you use and discard the next year. I mean, unless it's total, unless it was totally mis, uh, misread. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's going to be something you're going to be living with. So yeah. you know, you're going to be partnering with the same organization for many years, and yeah. so you, you you need to take that take that mind that from the purchaser's mind that that mindset needs to go in there, and from the seller's mindset, they need to think about, hey, we're going to be working with these guys for ten years. We better yeah. do this right, and not like you said over-promise and under-deliver because that's going to leave a sour taste in the mouth right off the bat. Yeah. Words of wisdom. All right. Well, this has been another episode of Unstructured Unlocked. I've been speaking with Stephen Weiss, who is on, on garden leave uh, from his role as a chief underwriting officer and senior vice president. Stephen, you've, you've told us a lot of great stuff and give us, given us some ideas for uh, you know how to go forward. And I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate the time today. Yeah, of course. Take care. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unstructured Unlocked. You can find all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts today. Spotify, Apple, everywhere. Be sure to follow at Indico Data on Twitter and YouTube. Have a good day, Automator.